Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Again, friends, and welcome on into episode 26 of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield in the big chair for today, Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. We're doing Tuesday, Wednesday this week. It's a compressed short week, so we had to change things up. We slotted everything by a day here at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. So you got me yesterday with Taylor Kyle, you get me again today, and then you're going to get me again tomorrow or sometime late tomorrow night. In the wake of the New England Patriots hosting the New York Giants. Show number 26 here at the Sco Show, a big one. I want to talk some Daniel Jones at the outset. You had to know this was coming. Your boy's a quarterback guy, right? What's that phrase? Those who can do, those who can't evaluate? Well, that's me. Couldn't really play the position, so now I get paid to actually talk about the position. So I'm going to talk some Daniel Jones at the outset. Learn a little bit later. Quality time. Patricia Trainer covers the Giants for the Sports Illustrated Maven Network, as well as being the host of the Locked on Giants podcast. She's going to come in for some quality time. Always enjoy talking with Pat. She's been so kind to have me on her show. She's one of my favorite people out there, so I'm really excited to have her on. Before we do that, though, you know the drill. Cavalcade of reminders. Follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter. You can check out the work. You know the places. InsideThePylon.com, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Pro Football Weekly, that trio of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and yes, right here at Pat's Pulpit. Those are the places to check out the work. And if you'd be so kind to throw a couple clicks your boys way, I would appreciate that. Now, a quick window into the life of Uncle Mark, okay? There are a couple of weeks each year that are fascinating for me, given what I do and the many hats that I wear. We had one such week. I think it was week seven last year when the New England Patriots traveled to the Midwest. They went to the Windy City to take on the Chicago Bears. And as you just heard, one of the places I work for, Pro Football Weekly, one of the teams I cover is the Chicago Bears. I cover Mitchell Trubisky. Now that he's hurt, I've been writing about Chase Daniel. I try to look at their upcoming opponents. A lot of the stuff that I do here, I do for PFW because they're a Bears site. This week's also a similar type of week where I get to approach a game from almost both sides. Because as you just heard, another place I write is Big Blue View. And yes, I do a lot of quarterback stuff over there. And so this is a fascinating, fascinating week for me because I get to look at this game almost through both sets of lenses. And your boy sitting here in his his basement office, I've got a little dry erase calendar 
that's kind of over my right shoulder. And I have on it the upcoming schedule each week for the various teams that I cover, whether it's the Patriots, whether it's the Bears, the Giants, the Eagles, with the QB Scout show, even the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So I can tell you right now, sitting here, that Minnesota plays at Nebraska on Saturday. And then Sunday, the Eagles are at Minnesota. And then the week after, we've got Giants against Arizona. We've got Bears against the Saints. We've got Eagles at Dallas, which is going to be a big one. And then Patriots on Monday night against the Jets. We've also got Minnesota at Rutgers or against Rutgers. Oh, it is at Rutgers. So there's a lot that your boy has to do each week. But a week like this is a chance to look at one game from both sides, which brings us to Daniel Jones. And I want to start with a list. It's a list of five names. Ben Roethlisberger, Mark Sanchez, Colt McCoy, Russell Wilson, and Geno Smith. Daniel Jones could potentially join that list of five, we won't say prolific, but five names on Thursday night. How? By becoming just the sixth rookie quarterback to beat Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is currently 17-5 and five against rookie quarterbacks. Now, how can Daniel Jones join that list? Does he think his name is going to be on that plaque? Do you think that name is going to be on that wall? Well, one way he can do it is by handling pressure. We've seen the Patriots generate such pressure this year. Let's just look at some of the numbers. It probably comes as no surprise to you that the Patriots lead the NFL with sacks as a team with 24. Interestingly enough, Jamie Collins with four and a half sacks is just a half sack behind some teams. Denver, Atlanta, Miami. They're all tied, dead last in the league with five sacks apiece. And there's Jamie Collins at four and a half. So the Patriots can dial up pressure. But what's been interesting about Daniel Jones is how he has handled pressure in the pocket as a rookie. And coming out of Duke, one of the things that I wasn't quite sold on with him was how he handled pressure in the pocket. I knew he was athletic. And I knew he had the ability to sort of create with his legs. But handling pressure just from the pocket is something that has stood out. You look at his game against Tampa Bay, his first NFL start. And he made some extremely impressive throws from the pocket in the face of pressure. And there'll be a piece on Pat's pulpit that you can read where I'm going to walk through some of these. But, for example, there was a a first and 10 the Giants had. Late in the first half on their own 25-yard line, Jones is in the shotgun. They work a shallow cross concept with a drag route coming from right to left and a deeper crossing route over the top of that from left to right. Tampa Bay brings pressure on this play. They blitz a linebacker and they cross him with a defensive tackle. The pocket starts to collapse around Jones, but he uses his feet in an almost Brady-esque manner to sort of slide, feel the pressure, move away from it, and create some space, and he hits Shepard for a six-yard gain on a cross route. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. It's just a six-yard gain. But those are the kind of plays that we saw from him in his game against Tampa Bay. There There were certainly others. And what stood out about this play in particular, yes, it's just a six-yard gain, but he makes an anticipation throw. 
when you watch this play on the end zone angle, he doesn't wait for Shepard to sort of clear the underneath linebacker. He throws him open into space while being pressured. And if he waits a second longer, he's going to get sacked. Early in the third quarter, Giants face a first and 10 right at midfield. They put Jones under center with 22 offensive personnel. Two tight ends, two running backs, and a single wide receiver. They put both tight ends in a wing to the right. They use play action. They give him two routes to choose from, a deep post to Darius Slayton or a crossing route to tight end Evan Ingram. Now, on this play, you've got blocking on the right from Red Allison, one of the tight ends. You've got fullback Eli Penny tasked with coming across the formation to help out on the right edge as well. So you've got fullback coming across the formation. You've got a tight end blocking there. Jones comes out of his play-action fake. He gets immediate pressure off that edge. He quickly turns, rolls back to his left, keeps his eyes downfield, finds Slayton with a perfect deep ball on that post route. And sometimes when rookie quarterbacks get pressured, it's sort of pressure of their own creation. But it wasn't really the case in his game against Tampa Bay. He did have two sort of strip sack situations, but it wasn't like he was inviting the pressure. It wasn't like he was waiting too long in the pocket. Sometimes with rookie quarterbacks, we see them, you know, they get pressured and their pressure numbers are great in terms of they're getting pressured a lot, but they're inviting the pressure. They're taking too long with their reads and they're just letting the pressure get to them. This wasn't really the case with Jones. You look at those two fumbles that he had, they were vertical routes that he had to wait to develop. And Jones's ability to handle pressure has continued over the past couple of weeks. Now, he struggled a bit against Washington through three interceptions. A lot of people sort of looked at his game against Minnesota last week and saw a lot of things to criticize. But I was, again, impressed, and I wrote a piece about it over Big Blue View. I was impressed with how he handled pressure. Perhaps my favorite throw of his from that game was, a, and this will be in the Pat's Pulpit piece, it's a, it's a throw late in the game. Minnesota shows him a too-high safety look. They rotate it to a cover one. They bring pressure. He's got an unblocked guy, but he reads it perfectly. He sees them rotate into a single high look. He throws a seam route to tight end Evan Ingram. It gets dropped, but it's a great throw. He puts it in a catchable spot. So he's reading the rotation of the safeties. He makes a beautiful throw. It just gets dropped. And I was very impressed with that play as well. And so I've been impressed with Jones. We know that his legs are a factor. And we know the Patriots and their history against mobile quarterbacks. The Patriots players have already been hearing about it. We saw guys like Devin McCourty, Deron Harmon talking about how his legs are something they have to be concerned with. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Jamie Collins doing some spy stuff against Daniel Jones. So they're going to have to contend with his athleticism, but they're also going to have to contend with his ability to handle pressure. And I want to leave you with a list. And some more numbers. Because in the wake of his start, his debut against Tampa Bay, I saw some numbers that, that, for lack of a better phrase, just blew my mind. And I know I say that a lot, but this truly blew my mind. He was, in that game, almost perfect when pressured. Pat Thorman from Established the Run tweeted out some numbers in the wake of his start against Tampa Bay. He tweeted out that Jones was pressured 
on 47% of his dropbacks, which was third highest among all Week 3 quarterbacks. And he completed 80% of his passes on those pressured attempts for 233 yards, two touchdowns, and a perfect passer rating of 158.3. Now, building off of that, Scott Barrett from PFF indicated that those numbers were the fourth most pressured passing yards by any quarterback in any regular season game in PFF's entire history. That is a time period that spans from 2007 to 2019. Now, in that PFF era, again, over 12 years or so, there are 1,674 instances of a quarterback attempting at least 12 pressured pass attempts in a game. And here is the list of quarterbacks that finished that game with a perfect passer rating. Daniel Jones. That's it. He's the list. He can join another prolific list on Thursday with a win in Foxborough. Now, will he do that? I don't think so. They're coming in shorthanded. They're banged up. They've struggled. And here's one more stat to throw at you, 11-0. That's Bill Belichick at home in Foxborough in the friendly confines against rookie quarterbacks. I don't think Daniel Jones makes it 11-1. But he's got talent. And he's shutting people like myself who questioned the pick at six. He's shutting people like me up so far. Up next, some quality time. Patricia Trainer from Sports Illustrated, the Maven, locked on Giants. She's going to join me to talk about this game on Thursday night. That's ahead on this 26th installment of The Scope Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And welcome back to episode 26 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. And we're, it's time for the quality time segment. And one of my favorite people in all of football media has been kind enough to take some time with me. She covers the New York Giants for Giants Maven. She's the host of the Locked on Giants podcast. Like I said, one of my favorite people in all of football media, perhaps in all of media. Let's put it that way. She is Patricia Trainer. She's kind enough to join me now. Pat, how are you? I'm doing well, and thank you so much for those kind words. That means so much coming from you. Well, it's always a blast talking football when we get together, and the shows where we get together always run long, and people behind the scenes, a quick peek at that. Sometimes we stop recording and we talk even longer. It's always a fun time when we get together, and I was so excited to have you on. And why don't we start here? What's the general state of the nation here for the New York Giants? I think it's some some confusion, Mark. We're trying to figure out what this team is. You know, is it a rebuilding team? Is it a team that feels that they can win? I mean, if you look at the results, if you look at how they played, it would probably be closer to a rebuild. 
But, you know, the Giants, they, they don't want to admit that it's a rebuild because obviously that doesn't sell tickets, that doesn't sell merchandise. They, you know, they want people to think that they can still be competitive and they can be competitive. The thing is, is they have a lot of young talent on the defensive side of the ball, especially. They now have some injuries that they're dealing with. They're, they're, they could be without three of their top skill position players in Saquon Barkley, tight end Evan Ingram, and wide receiver Sterling Shepard uh, when they visit the Patriots this week. And, you know, they have the rookie quarterback, Daniel Jones, who right now is generating a lot of the excitement given his mobility and what he brings to the offense that Eli Manning never could bring. So it's kind of a mixed bag. And, and I just think that Giant fans are a little bit more accepting, I think, this year of the team's struggles especially on the offensive side of the ball, because you kind of have to look at the big picture here. Yes, it's, you know, it's, it looks like it's going to be another lost season, but with that said, there's a lot of promise in there and, you know, there's still some work to be done by general manager, Dave Gettleman, head coach, Pat Shermer, but it looks to me, and this is, you know, now my take that the giants might be headed in the right direction. If they can overcome some of these issues that they have on the back end of their defense. Now, you mentioned Daniel Jones, and so we can turn to him right now. And obviously, it was a draft pick that's, you know, had some people scratching their heads, myself included. But I've been impressed with him so far. But what have you seen from the rookie quarterback? You know, it's funny. Some people refer to him as Eli Manning Jr., but I think that's the worst thing you can say about him because Daniel Jones is his own man. And this isn't a, a knock against Eli because Eli is just he's been the picture of class, the very definition of class. And you couldn't ask for a better guy to be the mentor and the example for a young quarterback. With that said, Daniel Jones, not just in how he's handled the media and the sudden fame and attention that he's gotten, but what he brings to the table, the mobility. You know, I, I look, liken it to playing a video game and you've been stuck at the same level for God knows how long. And then finally you level up and all of a sudden now you have all these new tools you know, toys and skills and abilities that you didn't have at the previous level. And that's what Daniel Jones, I think, has brought to this Giants offense. And it's just a matter now of him getting all his skill position players on the field at the same time, because since the start of Daniel Jones's era, you have not seen Barkley, you have not seen Tate and, uh, Shepard and Ingram on the field at the same time. And I think if they, if they ever can get to that point, the offense can be quite something to watch. You probably just answered this question, I think, but did you agree with the move to Jones at the time it was made? And do you think it was the right one for the organization? At first I was a little in a disagreement with it because I, in looking at it, I thought that Eli Manning was being made the scapegoat for the team's own to start. And I didn't think Eli played that badly with that said, what that move told me is that the team is kind of embracing the fact that, yes, it's a rebuild year. You know, let's get this rookie in here. He is our long-term answer. He's the future. Let's not delay the inevitable. Let's get him in here. Let's get him experience, and we'll take whatever comes. So to that, you know, if that's the thinking that indeed they were deploying, I agree with that. You know, I, I think it's terrible that it ended the way it did for Eli Manning because I always felt that the organization, especially towards the back end of Eli's career, kind of screwed him over with some of their personnel decisions. But I see what the Giants are trying to do, and I don't disagree with it. And you know what? And I'll admit it. I mean, I was an Eli Manning 
a, a supporter. I still am, but I like what Jones brings to this offense. And I think with Jones in there, head coach Pat Shermer, who was the offensive uh, play caller, can now run what he did in Minnesota more so than he could with Eli under center. Looking ahead to this week, we know there are some injuries on the really on both sides of the ball for the Giants. Barkley's a possibility, but it seems like he's probably not going to go. Gallman's in the concussion pr- protocol. How does the running game come together this week on a short week to go up and play New England? That's a real good question. I mean, I don't know if the Giants are going to add another player. Um, as we record this, obviously, it's a, it's a Tuesday morning. They may add another player. Um, you know, temporarily, but of course that would mean they'd have to make a move elsewhere. And then the other thing, you know, you factor into the equation, Sterling Shepard, as you said, is going to probably miss some time. This being his second time in three weeks in the concussion protocol. We don't know what's going to go on with Evan Ingram. So I don't know if they can necessarily add guys. I think what they're going to probably do is they're going to have to lean on John Hilleman, who is uh, a guy they promoted from the practice squad, has some potential, some intrigue there. But, you know, he is a rookie. He did go undrafted, and, you know, he's got a long ways to go. But they'll they'll have to lean on him, and they're probably going to have to lean on um, Eli Penny, the fullback slash halfback that they have on the roster. But I also think you'll probably see a few jet sweeps, maybe from the receivers. Maybe you see Golden Tate run an end around or a jet sweep or, you know, Cody Latimer, I think, has has done it before. So you might see some of that to help the running game. You know, a player you just mentioned, Evan Ingram, is a guy I loved coming out of college. I loved what he did down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl. I know he might be potentially limited or out this week, dealing with, I think I said it's an MCL. But overall, how has he been this season? How important has he been for perhaps the development of Daniel Jones? Oh, he's been huge. I mean, You saw it kind of at the end of last year when Odell Beckham Jr. missed the last four games. You saw how Evan Ingram came on and played so well. And I think he became kind of like the leading receiver, if I'm not mistaken, in those last four games. So you kind of knew that he was going to get a huge you know, increase in productivity this year with Beckham traded to Cleveland and he's, he's lived up to it. I mean, the one weakness though, I think that Ingram has is that when he is jammed off the line of scrimmage, he doesn't really adjust well to that. And we saw that against Buffalo. We saw that a little bit last week against the Vikings who who limited him, but you give him a free release and, and he can do a lot of damage down the field. But, you know, he's a guy who, Daniel Jones seems very comfortable throwing to, and uh, they've made that that connection really work for them. On the defensive side of the ball, I, I know there was frustration with the way Dave Gettleman handled the first round. You have Jones and then Dexter Lawrence, DeAndre Baker. How have those other two first round picks fared so far this year? Right now, Dexter Lawrence is really coming on. He's really stepping up and showing why he was worthy of the 17th overall pick. Um, he's seen his snaps increase. He's seen his productivity increase. You know, I, I just think maybe it was an it was a situation where he had to maybe get his feet underneath him and get a feel for the pro game. DeAndre Baker, on the other hand, has struggled some. But what people need to remember with DeAndre Baker is he missed the majority of the preseason with a knee injury. And we can talk about, you know, mental reps all we want. There is no substitution for getting out there and getting practice reps and game reps. And I think that's a big reason why he started off slowly. But with that said, the kid's got talent. He's got some swag to him. He's got some, you know, he's got 
got confidence. But, you know, I talked to him last week about this and he even said, he says, you know, I'm not making excuses, but I missed the entire summer with my knee. And he says, I'm, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning as quickly as I can and it's coming along, but, you know, people got to stop basically looking at me as, as, you know, the second coming of Richard Sherman right out of the box, you know? So, I mean, I think he's, you know, that's a valid point and something people have to take into consideration. Also the fact that, you know, James Betcher, the defensive coordinator has done some things to help this young man settle down because, you know, they're throwing him out there in the deep end and, the kid's head is swimming. I mean, he, he's struggling to stay afloat. So they've made some changes over the, you know, the last couple of weeks now. I don't know what happened to those changes last week, but they gave him more safety help over the top and then allowed him to, to play on one side rather than flipping him back and forth. And I think that has helped to settle him down some. Now, as always here in the Quality Time segment, I turn it over a bit to the great listeners to the show, Sco Show, who always submit questions for all of our guests. And we'll start with this one from Dave Archibald. And he wants to know, Pat, he's interested in how the Giants' offensive line rebuild is going with our old friend Nate Solder and some of the young guys like Will Hernandez. Very interesting question. You know, on the surface, the line looks better, but lately... They've struggled a little bit, particularly on the edges. Nate Solder um, has been on the injury report now a couple weeks. Last week it was with an ankle. I'm sorry, with a neck. This week with an ankle. And Solder, you know, in in the post-game press conference last week said, I haven't played well this season. Now, I don't know if it's because of the injuries or something else that's going on, but Solder was off to a slow start, which I understand was usually the case up in New England. He would get off to a slow start, and then as the season went on, he got better and better. Um, On the other side, Mike Remmers is – was signed to a one-year contract to kind of be kind of a stopgap. And when you watch Rimmers play, you kind of see that he can't bend as low as you would like him to to be. So he plays a little bit high. And I think, you know, he's just getting beaten um, by power, you know, which was supposed to be his strength, you know, as opposed to speed, which, you know, gives any offensive tackle, you know, any kind of trouble. With Will Hernandez, you know, this kid's going to be good. But last week was was probably, I think, one of his roughest games as a giant um, teams are now starting to line guys up over these guys, you know, the giants offensive linemen's noses. And when they come straight at them, I think that create, that's created a little bit of a struggle for these guys. So it's an adjustment they have to make. It's something they have to work on. Um, the center, John Halapio, I like John, but I'm still not convinced he's the long-term answer. I think he gets pushed back into the quarterback's lap a little too often, but I guess the the short answer is is they're making strides forward, but they're not quite there to where you could say that they have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL at this point. We also got another question from Dave who wants to know, a bunch of us like Lorenzo Carter coming out, so I'm curious how he's been doing in year two despite the recent injury. You know, Carter's an interesting guy too. We thought at the beginning of the year Carter was going to have a huge year. He has been quiet, and... We did a piece over on the Maven, si.com slash NFL slash Giants, in which we explored the possibility of maybe moving Lorenzo Carter to inside linebacker. We think he might be a fit better at the inside as opposed to edge rusher. And, and you know, I won't go into all the details there because it was a pretty comprehensive article. But um, Carter as a pass rusher has just been very 
quiet, you would have expected more from him. And and at this point, I think you've seen more from the rookie O'Shane Simenez than you have from Carter. And and if I'm the Giants, that's a little alarming, especially given that, you know, Carter worked on adding bulk, adding muscle, you know, worked on his speed, and it just hasn't shown up yet in his production. Got a question from Andy Likens who wants to know your thoughts on Pat Shermer as a head coach. Pat Shermer is an interesting guy. Um, I think he was brought in here, and, and I said this back when the Giants were looking to to hire a new head coach, and I said he was going to be the guy because of his experience with, with working with young quarterbacks and developing them. And, and, of course, the Giants decided to take him, and, you know, they have entrusted him with, you know, developing Daniel Jones, and he's done a pretty good job with that. I think I like the plan that he has done with Daniel Jones to bring him along. Overall, as a head coach, I've got to be honest with you, the jury is still out on him. I've seen things that have me alarmed. I'm not a fan of the fact that he is calling his own plays because I think there have been some instances where he's been too worried about one side of the ball and hasn't really managed the game as well as he could. Um, I think lately he has become a little obsessed with the officiating, which, you know, I I agree it's it hasn't been the greatest, but. Um, you, you can't really worry about that. You can't let that, you know, rattle you. And I, I'll go back to an example. I think it was the Dallas game where he threw a, uh, a challenge flag on a play that couldn't be challenged. It was inside of uh, two minutes and he could have gotten penalized for that. And thankfully the officials didn't, but just little things like that show me that he's becoming a little too obsessed with the officiating and the calls and the non-calls. But I think overall, um, Shermer, I like the culture that he's built in the locker room. You know, he's he's gotten rid of a lot of the, the problem children, if you will. But as a head coach, the jury is still out on him. I hope he is successful. I hope he turns this into a winning program. But right now, I need to see more in order to say, yeah, they're headed in the right direction under his leadership. Got a question, as always, from Mattia Rizzo all the way from Italy. And he wants to know, if the Giants' defense has some build-and-block type of players that they could look to for the future, and how that defense could attack the Patriots on Thursday night. They definitely have building blocks. You know, we mentioned Dexter Lawrence. He's he's a, a very promising young uh, defender. B.J. Hill, who has kind of started off quiet this year, but he's he's got a lot of potential. O'Shane Zimenez, I love this kid. A um, couple guys we haven't really seen that I think are going to see more action as the weeks go on uh defense back julian love and Corey ballantyne those two when they get in there i think you're going to be pleasantly surprised and of course deandre baker um is is uh you know once he gets his feet underneath him he's going to be a good one um as far as how they're going to attack the patriots i i gotta be honest with you they are understaffed right now the linebacker position um they're going to get tay davis back but tay davis quite frankly he was benched for Ryan Connolly, who was their best inside linebacker. And Ryan Connolly, as as you may or may not know, is on injured reserve after tearing his ACL. So uh, they're not going to have, I don't think, Alec Ogletree, who is still dealing with that hamstring strain. So I really don't know how they're going to attack um, the Patriots. I mean, 
I would say probably if I were designing the, the, the game plan, I would go after the offensive line. I would try to get pressure, uh, maybe throw a blitz and play some man coverage. But I don't know necessarily, do they have the guys who can who can hold up in the man coverage? You know, do they maybe have to go with five or six defensive backs and and and, and their big nickel package or their big dime package that seemed to work well for them against Washington. But, you know, can you really use that game as a measuring stick? I mean, you're talking a a huge step up between, you know, Washington and new England. So um, any number of ways to do this, but my biggest concern as far as how they can attack them is, is really, you know, are they going to have enough healthy bodies to do it? Fantastic stuff, Pat. We'll get you out of here on this one. Not asking for a prediction or a score or anything like that, but just your general expectations for Thursday night. I'm not optimistic for a giant win. Um, I'm just hoping at this point they can at least be somewhat competitive. You know, um, they're just too many injuries on the Giants. And I know you don't like to, you know, people don't like to hear that as an excuse. It's, I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm just trying to be realistic here. I think even the Giants, had they been at full strength, would have had an uphill battle against this Patriots team, which is playing so well. But um, the injuries, that's a concern. And I'm just, you know, I just want to see them be competitive. You know, if they give up 300 yards and, and, and allow the Patriots to score 28 points and we have like a 28-17 loss or something like that, I would take that. I just don't want to see them totally play a lopsided game. And You know, I, I want competitiveness, and that's what I'm hoping for. Well, fantastic stuff. Hopefully we do get a competitive game on Thursday night. Folks, that will do it for today. Next time you hear from me is after that game on Thursday night. Until then, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.